You're listening to the Della Darling Podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Dara. We're taking Dara's love of telling people's stories, Emily's love of attending events, and our mutual love of the first date, and highlighting the best people to meet, places to go, and things to do that Delaware has to offer. Hello, everyone. I'm here in Della Darling headquarters tonight. We have myself, Emily, Dara. You can hear our little unpaid intern, Nutmeg, in the background. And um, last episode, we talked about how I had just hired a seasonal intern, but um, she did such a good job. She's going to be a permanent staff member. So Congratulations. Yeah, so Clove is... um, my cat, which has been shocking to everyone who knows me that I now am a cat mom. I think you can just, you can, you can be a dog person and you can still have a cat. It has happened in Della Darling headquarters. Um, Nutmeg is adjusting. It's, it's not her idea of fun, but whoever did want a little sister, right? <laughs> I mean, I feel we are like little sisters. We are little sisters. We were probably somewhat unwanted. I wasn't. My brother loves me and always loved me and desperately wanted a friend to play with. But um, Nutmeg does not feel the same about Clove. It seems like it's been so long since I've seen you. I think because we recorded pretty early in the beginning of June and now we're we're meeting up again at the end of June. Um, I told you when I, I came by, it seems like you've been doing so much reading, which is excellent following up on our Delaware Librarian episode. But you said it's because you've been at the beach, which is also excellent. I have been at the beach. Um, I don't know if we've mentioned this on the podcast. I think I have, but I get a state park pass every summer. I like to take nutmeg hiking at White Clay Creek State Park or at Brandywine Creek State Park. Um, it's just a really nice sort of Sunday morning or Sunday afternoon activity that she and I can do together. Um, and because of the you have to pay for parking every time you go or entry of your car every time you go from, I think, May through September – I usually just buy a pass because I go frequently enough. Mm -hmm. So I like to take advantage of that and go down to Cape Henlopen State Park. Um, So if you don't have a pass because you only go, you know, a couple of times in the summer, it's $5 per car load if you're in state or I think $10 if you're out of state. And then you don't pay any additional fees for parking or beach access. There are no like per person beach tags the way there are at the Jersey Shore. So... um, I just have been on Saturdays that have been nice, hopping in the car, driving down. You know, it's an hour and a half. If I leave pretty early, I try to be out of here by 7. So I'm on the beach having dropped off uh, the intern nutmeg at her grandma and grandpa's house. So I'm like on the beach reading by 9 a.m., hang out until 3 or 4, and then drive home and I'm here for dinner. That's so nice. Have you been doing, like, have you made any stops or have you checked up any restaurants down there, like grabbed coffee anywhere? Or is it just you and the beach? I haven't. It's just been me and the beach um, because I've been to some extent trying to get in and out for things back here in the evening. I had a neighbor's housewarming the weekend before that. We had a Father's Day dinner. So typically, as everyone who knows me well knows, I am scheduled to the minute. Mm -hmm. Um, And so that's been true. But there are a lot of great restaurants or a lot of great places to go. I think I'll probably try to take a few weekdays where I head down. Um, and I find those usually are better days for sort of checking out restaurants or downtowns in the late afternoon and evening. They're a little less crowded. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In the beginning of June, I always feel like I'm so ahead on the summer. Um, like if, if I get a little trip in, if I hit up a few of the festivals. Um, and now, of course, I'm like, June is ending. I'm behind. 
Um, but I did go on like a mini vacation in the beginning of June. Um, I went up to New York City for a couple days in part to um, for like a, a grad school reunion thing. Um, but while I was there, um, it rained a lot while I was there. So I was kind of like wandering in and out of, of different places. And I spent some time like sheltering from the storm in um, Grand Central Terminal, which is one of my favorite places to just wander around. Um, and I was interested. Um, so they have, uh, they, at the time I was there, they had a series of subway reef photos on display in the Transit Museum. And I was sort of delightedly um, surprised to discover that there was a Delaware connection. So it was a series of um, these really large scale photos um, capturing how the MTA, um, which runs the city subways, how they'd repurposed thousands of decommissioned subway cards by submerging them into the ocean um, off the East Coast. So through New Jersey, Delaware, Maryland, South Carolina, um, there are subway cars under the water and um, they've become artificial reefs. That is cool and a reminder that no matter where you go, whatever museum or exhibit you're seeing, often there is a Delaware connection. Yep, Delaware is always close by. Um, one other thing I got up to, I um, went with my boss and a couple of clients over to Porky Oliver's, which is a golf course in the city of Wilmington. And I, it was really nice to find out that the day I was playing was actually the longest day of the year, was the summer solstice. So they were having a longest day, longest drive competition. Oh. Um, everyone playing on the course that day was entered. Um, I did not make any attempt at placing in my... <laughs> I thought you told me you did pretty well. I played both wonderfully and awfully, which for me is great. Um, and it turns out, I think that's how most people play golf. I don't know what that means. The shot was good or it was bad. There is no in-between. Okay. Yeah. All right. So you're, you're, you enjoyed yourself. How I am at most sports, but yes. <laughs> You had a nice time. You dress, And it looked like you dressed the part, too. I was very well-dressed appropriately. Have you been to Porky Oliver's before? I have been for lunch many times, but not golfing. Not for golfing. Well, that's so fun. You get to re-experience a part of Delaware. I did. It was really, really nice. And um, since Porky's is a public course, it's, it's fairly inexpensive. I think it's like under $40 a person for a round of golf, which I hear is very reasonably priced. I don't really know because my golfing experience is, is pretty limited, but um, we had a great time and, you know, it was, and, you know, you can always go and just play, you know, nine holes, which is sort of my preferred thing to do, but I made it through the whole 18 um, and only lost under a dozen balls. <laughs> well, good for you. So I know like, we've talked about before just how many festivals there are, like we're in festival season. So I missed the Jazz Fest. But I did make it to the Italian Fest this year. Um, I really, and this year, um, of course, I enjoyed um, the mimosas. Mm -hmm. Bellinis. Bellinis. I, I, enjoyed hope, the, I hope it was the Bellinis. I enjoyed the Bellinis. Um, but then the fries at Cafe Gelato were a hit for me. Um, they're so large and they're, they're, the fries are large or the portion is large? The portion is large. And the fries are fairly large cut too. So they were, they were my favorite. Um, treat at the Italian festival this year. Did you make it? Did you try the Panzerati again? I did. I made it to the Italian festival. I had the Bellini. I had a chicken parm. I had a Panzerati. I had some cannolis. I had some gelato. You covered it all. The Panzerati and the cannolis were to go. I had them <laughs> that evening. 
because I went on a Sunday afternoon. So I sort of had like a late lunch and then a late dinner. Um, but I think this year the cannolis really did it for me. I really had, you know, two, two of their cannolis and they're a little, um, not small, but they're on the smaller side. They're definitely not jumbo. And, uh, they hit, they hit the sweet spot while I was watching a movie Sunday night. That's so nice. That's the way you got to do it. You got to take things to go. So I feel I was going through some of the Delaware news that's happened recently. And one thing that I saw, I was kind of surprised that it had come and gone already because it seemed like there was so much buildup. Um, was that Antiques Roadshow? Was it winter? So it hasn't aired yet, but um, perhaps friends and neighbors that listeners know were lucky enough to take their treasures to be appraised. Right. Um, I know my mom and my grandmother did apply to be attendees because, you know, you had to put into the lottery to be an attend, to just attend. Um, and I never heard from them that they were attending. So I'm going to guess that they did not win that lottery. No, it looked like there was quite a crowd. Um, and so WHYY, they covered it. And, um, and of course, like they're, they are a PBS station. Um, and so one of the couples they caught up with for their coverage um, was from Pike Creek. Um, and apparently this couple, they're only referred to as Chrissy and Bill because last names are not used on Antiques Roadshow for security reasons, which I did not know. But Chrissy and Bill, if you're listening, we'd love to hear more about your experience. <laughs> so they've chased the production around. They've, they've tried to get on in Pittsburgh and in Philadelphia and in New York. And then finally Antiques Roadshow shows up in their sort of their backyard. Um, so apparently they brought jewelry, swords, a doll, and an early baseball glove. Um, but nothing has gotten them onto the show yet. So I don't know when we'll find out more about Christine Bill's treasures. But it sounds like they had fun and probably everybody else attending did as well. I bet you can learn a lot of interesting Delaware facts or like what you, what you think are your own personal interesting Delaware stories from standing in line at Antiques Roadshow. Oh, I'm sure you can learn a lot about your neighbor's family histories and um, some of the major events that their family members maybe attended in Delaware in the past. Then I think on the other spectrum of events that recently happened in Delaware, so going from the Antiques Roadshow crowd, now we have, of course, the Firefly crowd, which I think is what a lot more people associate happening in June in Delaware with. Yeah. Do you think those two things have two different demographics? <laughs> I, I was going to, like, my inclination is to say yes, although I'm sure that there's some crossover. I don't want to exclude anyone. I'm sure there's some overlap. Um, we couldn't make it to Firefly. This is just a really um, busy time of year for us. And I would say for both of us, it's, it, Firefly tends to be just far enough. We would probably want to stay. Mm -hmm. um, and that really increases the price. And um, we're both a little budget conscious. We always say bougie on a budget here at headquarters. So um, Firefly just wasn't in the cards for us this year. Um, but Samantha Hemphill of Samantha Styled and... Megan Steele of Sincerely Steele, who came on the podcast a couple of months ago. We talked a little bit about summer festival fashion. They went for, I think, Friday and Sunday. So they sort of, because for them, it's an easy in and out. Yeah, I thing. love that. Um, I would love to do that. Yeah, they were able to kind of pick which days made sense for them to go. And they definitely had their festival fashion and hair and everything, makeup, body, glitter, everything out in full force. So we definitely encourage you guys to check out their Instagram feeds. Um, 
and blogs because I'm pretty sure they're going to be recapping. Yeah, it was fun to follow along on Instagram with them and kind of live through them to sort of be there. It was also the News Journal always does a bunch of coverage, um, Delaware Online, photo galleries, time-lapse videos. Um, so if you missed it or if you want to relive it, you can check that out. I did, I wanted to share at least one Firefly story on the podcast and it became pretty clearly clear which one when I saw the headline, New Jersey couple gets engaged. Because I, I feel like you are constantly fascinated by public engagements. I am fascinated and happy for those who like them and want them and make those people happy. That wouldn't do it for me, but different strokes for different folks, you know? But I just am always so fascinated because what if she says no? Like, I just always have this question in my mind, like, how interesting would that be? You have to be sure that you you know what's going to happen. Well, you know, my father once told me that that's a question you don't ask if you don't already know the answer. Yeah, what is it? You should be surprised by the moment. You can be not surprised by the, by the moment, but not by the question on the other side of things. So he doesn't give me a ton of uh, love life advice, but that those are pretty good, I think. Mm-hmm. So I guess one more thing I wanted to talk about. Um, I'm not necessarily a big cake baker and decorator, but uh, my mom is, and you know, before we moved to the Pike Creek Hocassin area, we actually lived in the neighborhood that sort of backs up to Cannons, the bakery and um, bake shop. I don't, I don't know the right terminology, cake and candy supply store. Um, and it's still a favorite of ours. It's really the only place to get anything more specialized than what you could get at AC Moore. And they just announced that while the bakery will remain open, so you can still order Cannon's cakes, they will no longer be a supply store. Yes, I have. I that's been like the go-to place, like around the holidays when you're baking, when you need something, um, just to like to make something special, to melt chocolate, um, mm-hmm. find a special mold. Um, Cannon's has been the place to go. Yeah, I think, um, you know, obviously AC Moore and Michaels have always had a lot of that stuff, but anything like more specialized, you had to go there. But I think the online Amazon two-day shipping has kind of pushed their business to the side. Maybe. But if um, anyone is listening in time, they, the supply store is open until June 29th um, and offering extreme discounts, according to Delaware Today, um, 40% off. Um, well, and, and we're for, we're already in the fifty percent off. Fifty percent off through June 29th. So if you can hurry over there, you, you might can. get some goods. So Dara mentioned I was doing uh, a significant amount of summer reading, and that's true. I actually ran by the library today. I had four books I had requested that all became available at once because that is how it goes. Which means I currently have five books from the library on the to be read shelf i know people who think that the library purposely does that just to to mess with them i mean they they do somewhat in that they try to optimize transporting books from one location to another so yes in theory they do try to make all of the books arrive places on the same day um but it just always turns out that way but I was really glad to be doing some summer reading and after we got recommendations and sort of a librarian's perspective on summer reading, we're going to get an author's perspective on summer reading tonight. Yeah, so as you mentioned, as we were wrapping up last um, the episode from earlier this month, um, we will be joined by David Teague, um, who is a Delaware-based author and he also is involved in various community activities, 
um, and teaching. And um, he's married to another author, also Mason Delaware, and sometimes writing books with Delaware elements, um, Marissa De Los Santos. Um, she couldn't join us tonight, but we have a lot of questions for him and are looking forward to our conversation all about reading and writing. I know that one of his specialties um, in terms of teaching has to do with memoir writing. So I'm interested in hearing what he has to say about telling your own story. So welcome, David. Now we're here with David Teague. He arrived moments ago and passed uh, Nutmeg's uh, extremely thorough check. Um, they're now friends, and we're looking forward to hearing more about him. Well, I feel like it was touch and go with Nutmeg there for a few minutes. We are lucky <laughs> to have such a dedicated intern to our security. And I don't think Nutmeg's a big reader, um, but she would have plenty to choose from with you. So you're the author of um, picture books, um, including The Red Hat, um, and then you've done two novels um, that are you co-wrote with um, your wife, Marisa de los Santos, um, Saving Lucas Biggs and Connect the Stars. And then two of your recent books were Henry Cicada's Extraordinary Elktonium Escapade and How Oscar Indigo Broke the Universe and Put It Back Together Again. Um, and I think you and I first met when the Elktonium book came out. Right. Um, because I was working at a newspaper in Elkton, Maryland. Yeah. And there was the Elkton connection. And then I think, so now this is the third time that we're sort of talking in, a, in an interview sense. Yeah. Yeah. I, and I, um, in my books, there's, especially the, the novels, there's always a local connection. The ones recent I've done, um, you know, there, there's a... Um, Harriet Tubman Middle School, that's this and Connect the Stars in Westchester, you know, two words, Pennsylvania. We have uh, a, a middle, uh, the other school in the book is in Greenwood, Delaware, which is a bit like Greenville. So we do a little of that. Uh, then with, with Elkton and Elktonium, um, Elktonium is the newest element on the periodic table with hundreds and thousands of unknown properties. Unfortunately, they're all unknown, so it's useless. And part of Henry's quest is to figure out how to use it. But yeah, his mother was born in Elkton, Maryland, and named it after her hometown. So, you know, there, there's, in the more serious books, I think there are more substantial connections to the local, um, you know, local landscape. And with Maurice's books, um, you know, uh, I'll Be Your Blue Sky is essentially, I'll apologize that Maurice's not here, but it's essentially set in Rowett Beach. So we do draw, you know, you always disguise it a bit because if you don't, in, in fiction, if you don't make it a bit um, whimsical or change it, then people are saying, well, actually, that stop sign is not at the <laughs> 22nd of the market. It's at 23rd, and you're like, well, no, that's not the point. You know, it's sort of like you're telling. So changing a name a little bit will help. We're sorry, Andrew Schaefer. We promise we still loved the book, and we're excited for the next one. Yeah, Emily and I, we love finding little connections like that. And I, I think like we'll take it, like if it's disguised or if it's realistic, we will take it. We will talk about it either way. We can be annoying sticklers sometimes and yeah. we will, we have pointed out some misplaced stop signs in other books. Well, it's all a way to set readers' <laughs> expectations. If it's historical fiction, you got to get it right. If it's whimsical, you know, I mean, mm -hmm. I think as, a, as an author, you control, you have all the cards, you get to control, but if you have 15 things that are historically, historically accurate and then one that's just kind of thrown in there, then, you know, yeah. you point to you. I mean, it's got to go in the right place. So when you are doing like local touches, do you like are you doing it because it feels natural to the story or are you doing it because you you want to have that personal tie? Yeah, I think 
For uh, I mean, for Marisa, yeah, yeah, you know, there's there's all this there's this argument, uh, there, there's this debate, right? Should you write what you know or, or not? And and I think, you know, the the old adage has been write what you know because that's what you can make the most art out of. And then I just saw, Kaz, Kazuru Ishiguro or somebody said, you know, that's that's ridiculous. You you make stuff up all the time, and we don't write what we know. But I at least have to you know be able to see. A house or or see a street or some kids on a bike there has to be enough for me to start visualizing the place and you know to, to the setting has to have some connection with experiences I've had just so my imagination can have a place to latch on mm -hmm. and it could be really whimsical um, but you know in, in that Eltonian book a whole bunch of it is said in West Texas in um, you know a fanciful um, version of it you know towns like decathlon and Pump Jack and all these names, but but I can see what they look like. You know, I, I know what's there. It you know, literally in my mind, even if I would have changed it enough to make a story happen. And part of the fun is if you take, you know, sometimes you exaggerate, sometimes you, um, you know, maybe you parody the way people behave in a certain place. So you know that that's part of the creativity. But yeah, um, you know, there's this joke in. Um, well, you know, like, I don't know, there used to be the AstraZeneca um, campus down on the corner on 202, and, and when our daughter Annabelle was about four, she was naming all the continents, you know, North America, South America, Asia, um, Australia, and AstraZeneca, right? Fits <laughs> right in there. Yeah, so she, and, and so we put that in, you know, just because we thought it was funny and we wanted our child to, you know, be mm -hmm. part of you, know, you always want to put your kid out there. Uh, so, so there's some of that. But um, you know, I think with Marisa, you know, in her, in her book, um, I'll Be Your Blue Sky, she loves the landscape down there. She loves to paddle a kayak through the marshes. She, she loves the birds, and, you know, she really got the rhythm of it. Um, and that is because, you know, we live here. We've lived here a long time, and, and so these landscapes feel, um, they, they, we, we, I guess they feel, um, not more, more, more than home, they like our identity, you know, I mean, you can sort of reach in and you don't even have to think about it. So I think that's part of what goes on with us. But other people have different imaginations. You know, people make up whole worlds out of nothing. And then you don't get to say where the stop signs are. <laughs> so where are you from originally and how did um, you end up in Delaware? I grew up in Arkansas, uh, just outside of Little Rock. And I, um, at one point, became an English major and went to graduate school and got a PhD in English, which meant that I was totally unemployable unless some kind university took pity on me and hired me to teach English. So that happened to be University of Delaware. So I came here to work. I came here to teach. And um, turned out, you know, we, Maurice's family actually is from Northern Virginia and I had lived in Aberdeen, Maryland. I'd been, you know, my dad had been in the service. So I'd been around here, but even then you don't really know what's going on in Delaware. Mm -hmm. I mean, you can live in, in Elkton and it's mysterious over here. So we didn't really know what we were getting into until we got here, but we loved it. You know, it's, it's small. You, you get to know people and, and understand social and cultural landscapes pretty quickly. And it's been a good place for our kids. So, um, so how many, how long have you been in Delaware now? It is, well, this uh, started in the fall, 93, so whatever that makes okay, it. Okay, so 16 years. No more than that. 26 years. 26 years. <laughs> yeah, 26 years. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, in all, um, you know, everybody out there 
in Delaware takes us in the right spirit. I never saw myself staying more than three years, you know, because I, I think a lot of people say yeah, that when they come here. It's like just like passing through. It takes you, you know, like you, you takes you twelve. You're, you're done in twelve miles, right? It takes you fifteen minutes to get through the state driving for mm -hmm. most people, and so you do feel like you're passing through. But um, yeah, it really stuck, and, and I love the teaching, and I, I love Wilmington, and you know, it's. It's a complicated place, but it feels like you can sort of start to understand most of the moving parts and be part of the cultural scene, right? I mean, you know, just do it here. You just start. Like we were talking about the fact that everybody thinks all the writers live in Manhattan or Brooklyn, I guess, and, mm -hmm. and they live in the loft and they, they congregate together. And, and you know, there's some truth to that, but it's hard to be a, a fish of any kind in a pond that big. And so here you get to you can you can do poetry you can do kids books you can do novels you can teach literature and there's sort of room you know there's room for all that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, you mentioned your kids, uh, and I did in the the episode notes that I prepared earlier today. I included a note that I thought Emily would appreciate um, that in your your you do many many things and among them you are an avid cyclist and I believe you're also a swim dad. I was a swim dad. We have graduated out of that, I'll say. Charles is in, is in college, and he went to University of Virginia, um, which is a really fast swim team. Um, yes, yes it is. So, <laughs> so he is now doing beach volleyball at, on, you know, at, as a, on the club team, which... Good for him. I can you know, like swim 12,000 yards, run around in the sand, hit a volleyball, which is it going to be. So, yeah. so we're out of the swim dad business now. Emily's dad is also out of the swim dad My business. dad is also out of the swim dad business. He was also an avid cyclist. Less so now. He, he rides a recumbent, so he does still get out. But he, yeah. um, we used to joke at any given moment how many bikes are in the garage, and it would usually be in the range of three to five, often that number being 4.5. Yeah. Um, oh. The parts from yeah. however many bikes, maybe not yet assembled. It's funny you should say that. I just finished putting together a bike today, um, and they're about you know, 5.7 bikes in the garage right now, but yeah. I had one, it cracked, I, I got a new frame and started to rebuild it, but then one of the wheels was cracked, so I got some new wheels, and then I didn't like the saddle, you know, so... So it's a whole new bike yeah. that started from... But technically it's the same bike, because I never change <laughs> any one, you know, I never change it all at once, exactly. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, well, I just, I just have the one bike, um, and I don't know that I would call myself an avid cyclist, but definitely an occasional cyclist, um, but we did do a, a cycling episode, mm -hmm. actually, a few months ago, we had uh, Laura Wilburn from Urban oh, yeah, Bike Project, her, yeah, yeah. so she came on and chatted awesome. all about sort of the biking landscape in Delaware, Wilmington specifically, the work she does um, with biking through yeah. the non-profit non world, so... Um, it's always fun, and we find a lot of our guests kind of all come yeah, together. Yeah, well, I know her, and, and then, you know, Michael Kalmbach, Creative Vision Factory guy, worked over there, because I got new digs, and they're trying to think about what else is going to happen there. But, you know, and if I may, I don't know if you've got a, a, a plan here, but for Marisa and me, the, the biking is part of the writing process, and, and to the extent that literally Connect the Stars, which is the awesome uh, Little Grades book, the second one we did together, is, um, so I, I can tell you in like three minutes how she wrote it, but it involves her bike. Here's how it went, and swimming. So we had written um, Saving Lucas Biggs, and did pretty well, and it got great reviews and sold a few. So we were gonna write a second one, and it was gonna be a sequel, but the problem is that Saving Lucas Biggs is a time travel book, and we had put this impediment in our way. We had said that the, you know, the time travelers in the book were never allowed to travel um, into the future, 
they could only travel into times before they had lived. That was like the rule, because you couldn't live, travel during your own lifetime, because there mm -hmm. would be two of you, and you couldn't travel into the future for whatever reason. I don't know why. So we were like, oh my God, how are we going to write a book? So we were going to go into the past and meet, you know, Audrey's mother or whatever. And then suddenly, Marisa, I, I take the kids to swimming, put my, you know, put my suit on, because I swam and lay next to them while they swam really fast. Mm -hmm. Put my phone in my locker, and jumped in the pool, Marisa took off on her bike, and began to have this epiphany, I guess, because, you know, she would ride on that trail, um, you know, the Greenway, from mm -hmm. basically, she'd get on it over by AI Hospital and right up to the um, end of it. And so she got off and was, I hope she got off, she was texting me and said, <laughs> two kids who are misfits, they have special powers that actually have unsuper superpowers, powers that seem like they would be awesome, but actually because they're in seventh grade are horrible. Audrey can always tell if somebody's lying, you know, which oh. thinks will be great. But you know, you As a 13-year-old girl, I would never yeah. wish so, that upon anyone. Oh yeah. my gosh. And, and, and so, so that was the genesis of the mm -hmm. idea, and I can tell you where it went, because she wrote this beautiful intro to the book based on that premise. But then she said, okay, and then the second boy, um, Aaron knows, you know, he's basically got total recall. He knows everything, but he doesn't understand anything. You know, he's like the guy who's probably raising his hand, talking over people, and wins the quiz bowl, but doesn't let anybody play. And he doesn't really even get it. He doesn't understand. It. So anyway, she, then she said, okay. And then they get in trouble at school, and have to get, they get sent off to an experiential, yeah, they, they have to leave. They go to an experiential camp out in West Texas to sort of be alone and, you know, sort their heads out. At the camp, something terrible happens to one of the campers, and they have to band together and use their own super superpowers to solve the mystery and save the camper. So there's this whole, and it's like every one of those was an individual text. So I get out of the pool, you know, and rinse the chlorine off, and go to my locker and pull my iPhone out, and there's literally the outline of the novel is there in 40 texts that she had sent while she was riding a bike because you know that repetitive motion. You know, sometimes you just get in the groove mm -hmm. that it enabled her to basically throw away the entire original premise for our second book and come up with, you know, what turned into Connect the Stars. And I think a lot of that, a lot of times, the, um, you know, your, your brain cycling, literally, your brain is cycling while you're literally cycling and solving problems and even, like, not thinking about your plot and not thinking about your character is sometimes the best thing for your plot and your character. So for us, it's, it's definitely part of the creative process. And, and I think a lot of uh, cyclists, a lot, you know, a lot of a lot of writers have something like that. They do, mm -hmm. but around here, riding bike is huge. That's what we do. That's, what, that's how we do it. Um, you and uh, Marisa have been interviewed together and, and separately, and, and talked about working together. Um, you know, writing and then one of you editing or giving feedback. Um, I'm wondering, like, what what do you do when she sent you those texts? Were you just like, all of this is brilliant? Or were there things that you wanted to tweak or like jump in with an idea? You know, honestly, I thought it was brilliant. I mean, you know, we were dicey on our... Well, here's the problem with the sequel, too. The first book hadn't actually come out in, in, in the store. So, you know, the thing about a sequel is if your first book does great, the sequel is an awesome idea. Mm -hmm. If your first book tanks or like... Uh, you know, we're not going to publish this. Go do something else. So there's some, you know, trepidation about that you know, sequel idea anyway. But no, I mean, I think I really got the characters. And um, they, a long time ago, when Maurice and I first knew each other, we read that Oliver Sacks book, The Man Who Mistook His Wife for a Hat. I don't know if you've ever read it, but it's amazing. And all these, you know, there are people with 
they, they, it's basically a whole bunch of people with what we called unsuper superpowers, people with eidetic memories, people with prodigious physical and, and neurological skills who also had incredible deficits. So it's always, always kind of stuck with us, I think. And, and so we both understood the characters right away. I'm sure you've had a million people tell you, if you're going to write fiction, you got to understand the characters. You know, you apply, you know, you'll, you'll figure that out. But, but I did get this kid, Aaron, that you made up. I mean, the one objection I would have had would have been, well, I wish I could have thought up my own character <laughs> instead of you telling me that he's got this, um, you know, unsuper superpower. But, but I got it because we had shared, we, we knew, you know, mm -hmm. the drawbacks to that eidetic memory are that you don't always... It sometimes it becomes a crutch. You don't always use it to solve problems. You just know the answer. And so when there's, you know, I think the way he puts it in the book is, you know, I can tell you all the kings of England since, you know, 933, but if you want me to tell you how a king feels about his kingdom, well, then we have a problem, right? So he doesn't think through things like that. And that's his journey, right, in the book as a person. So a guy, I mean, whatever, it, it might have been just been lucky, you know, mm -hmm. but I think we've worked together enough I mean, frankly, you know, I was probably kind of that kid in elementary school. We probably just she knew you would identify. We'd just talk over people if I thought I knew the right answer, which may be, you know, an aspect of my personality, honestly, that she was more familiar with than she, you know, was happy with. But no, I think that would have been my one objection. You know, like, I would like to do my own character, but she hit one that I got. And then we, we put it in West Texas, and the landscape we loved. We put this experiential learning camp out there, so we got to write about, um, you know, the desert and, and how it, it, it's, it's hard, it's beautiful, it's difficult, but it sort of brings out this the, the best in people physically and, and sort of spiritually. So, you know, we got to do something, share something that we was important to us anyway. So... I have a question because right now I'm looking at you and you're framed with my Game of Thrones map right behind you. Okay. So um, I'm a big Game of Thrones fan. Obviously, I have a Game of Thrones map in my house. Um, yes. Yeah. But but I recently, with the final season coming out, came across the terms plotters and pantsers. Yeah. And there are, I'm sure, other terms that apply as well, right? So for listeners, um, the, it's the idea that plotters, so writers who are plot-driven, so they sort of map out how the story will go or even how the ending will go and what is the circular way we have to meander in order to get there versus pantsers who are writing by the seat of their pants mm -hmm. um, and they are more character-driven. So they sort of flush out a character and think, okay, what would the character do next? Why would the character feel the way they're feeling? And right. so the story meanders without a clear goal at the end. Um, and both can be good. It just sort of depends on the writer and yeah. the audience and the story and all that. So my question is, which one are you? Because you well, sound very character-driven. Well, that's an excellent question. And I would say that, you know, just to frame it, I think that out there in the world, there's um, the people who are pantsers, paradoxically, get more respect. It's more literary to write character-driven novels. Having said that, that's, I mean, I don't, know what, I don't want to use any foul language, but that, that's bull, you know, because... <laughs> Appropriate you know, censorship yeah, for yourself. You just I mean, because, you know, you think about, um, okay, here, you know, have you ever heard, so, um, who um, Ian Forster talks about this. I'm going to give you a little lesson and then answer your question. Okay. That's, I started that's off, great. That's why I'm asking okay. you. You are so a literary I, scholar. Okay, well, I started off as a pantser, and Marisa started off as a pantser, and um, um, 
Love Walked In and Belonged to Me for her, her first two novels, were, first of all, she had the luxury of really not being widely known. She could do it her way and she could have an awesome character, somebody she loved and just do stuff. But, life closes in and you got to get stuff done. And you may not have the luxury of just hanging out with your character in the living room for, for two years before you put something down. So, we both became plotters. I mean, she literally, she bought a giant cork board as big as your map. I would say bigger than your map. I mean, it's, it's like, you know, three by five, three feet by five feet. And she um, actually has a note card for every beat of her story now. That came because we wrote two books together. And if you're going to write with a partner, you can't just go somewhere and leave it and leave it to your partner to fix it. You know, you really need to end in a place where your partner can pick up the, the literal plot. Mm -hmm. So that's how we got there. But And, and now we both do... Um, we outline our stories more, but to back up, it's like this. Ian Forster once said, the king died and the queen died is a story. The, queen di the king died and the queen died of grief is a narrative. And then, you know, that's the, that's the lesson. Something happened because somebody has a character. First, you know, and, and the, the king is the hero of the first one. He died and the queen died, so what? He came first. But she died because she had a character trait. We think, yeah, she loved the king. She couldn't live without him. She has her own story. And even in that brief, you know, um, illustration, you kind of see the difference. But the fact is, you know, I, I just think plot equals character. Like, you, know, you can do an algebraic, you can do an equation. The plot is all the decisions the character is going to make. Mm -hmm. And so... It all it sort of just depends on. Uh, I love wacky stuff to happen. You know, Henry's Cato's Elkonium Adventure. They go to the 46, 47th, and 48, 47th, 48th, and 49th dimensions, where the imaginary becomes real and he becomes lodged in the head of a giant, who's the giant tire giant, who holds the tire up in front of the tire store. You know, all that can happen, but you, nobody cares if, if there's not a character that you care about. So, um, you know, I think. At this point, for us, the plotting is more a matter of life. Like we just have to get things done. It has to be efficient. We have to know where we're going. We can't spend two weeks writing or, or two months writing our way down some rabbit hole mm -hmm. and just, you know, leave it. So, mm -hmm. so it's more a practical thing. Gotcha. So you've given us a little lesson here. Um, and I and we mentioned before um, that you are... Uh, a, you are a professor, um, so you're teaching students um, in college, and then I know that you're also involved in some community initiatives like the Just Write program, yeah. and I believe that one of your specialties is memoir writing. Yeah, I do. Well, I teach a memoir course. I've never written... I can explain why. I don't think anybody ever want to hear about me, so I'm not going to write a memoir. Um. Oh. Everyone has a story to okay. tell. Thank you for that. Okay. Yeah. Well, see, but that's what I tell. That's what I tell people. But I'm not sure I buy it in my case. But you know, we're gonna, <laughs> yeah. that's my problem. Well, me. I'm wondering, like, what are the lessons? Like, what? Um, I think, like, with the Just Write program, I think it's really cool that you're empowering kids in Wilmington to kind of to tell their own stories. Yeah. And so, yeah, like, tell us a little bit about that. Well, I mean, I think that comes back to plot equals character. I mean, you are the main character in your own life. Do you remember the beginning of David Copperfield? You know, it, will, it, may, it remains to be seen whether I will be the hero of my own life. You know, so, and, and I think a lot of kids, we all felt like that when we were in first grade. A lot of us had tools to work our way through that. And frankly, 
you know, in some of the schools in Wilmington, I don't think anybody, I mean, they're consolidating two of them out of existence now. Mm -hmm. The Elbert Palmer, where we worked, is going to be gone next year. I think to show children that they're the protagonist of their own lives is is more than just a writing exercise. I mean, you know, that's, that's, that is empowerment. And to the extent that I, my, my UD writing students can use the tools that they've learned in creative writing class to go talk to children and, and say, yeah, look, that was an awesome, that was uh, a challenge when you were homeless and trying to go to school. And there, there were a lot of obstacles. I mean, you know, fiction writing gives you the tools to talk about those and, and, and the ability to put them in order and to um, think about them in a, in a sort of more controlled way. So. I think that's what we're able to do at Just Right. And a lot of, and so the memoir work, I mean, to have a fourth grader write a memoir, I mean, it may seem like a, like an overly grand word, but yeah, everybody's got an experience that other people would like to hear about. So that plot equals character, I mean, memoirs have plots too, and they have to. And, um, and, and so we're, we're doing, another thing we're doing is a, a story core. I mean, we're trying to learn to do oral narrative. You know, I'm trying to learn to do what you do podcasts and to go and find people who are very different and have different experiences. Um, I, I love my UD students to encounter, you know, children in, in schools that are not like the ones they went to. Or, or at this point, we're doing the Play Streets, which is a citywide initiative. I think the next one is tomorrow night is in, in uh, the West Side, but on um, the city's closing down the street to bring the children. It's basically the police are at each end of the street. They're a bunch of, we throw out a bunch of toys, Parks and Rec does it. Kids can come out in neighborhoods where they traditionally maybe don't feel that safe or around the street and play. And, and so we're trying to collect stories from these people. What does play mean to you? What, you know, what does it mean to be in a healthy community? What does it mean to have a, you know, a, a nice, happy space to um, um, you know, spend a summer evening in? And we're hoping, and I guess that's how I'm, I'm hoping to learn to collect more narrative and, and maybe find a thing that we all have memories about playing on a June evening in the summer and find out what how other people tell the story, right? So that's um sort of there's a different kind of memoir, like a you know and, and they're like you know the one minute memoir, the three minute, you know, like maybe just bits of bits of experience. Um a fourth fourth grader might not have a three hundred and fifty page, you know, memoir in him or her and I certainly don't think I do. But your point is absolutely right that um Everybody's got a story that somebody else wants to hear. Mm -hmm. so. Will um, will those be shared? Will the public be able? Yeah. To um, th so what we're going to do initially is uh, UD has a big research. Pre that we have what is it called? It's the end of the summer. All the summer research fellows. Uh, there's a research symposium at the Ice Lab at UD. So I know that my students want to. Um, they're going to present. You know the podcast that they developed from that at, at that research symposium. So that's how it's where we are right now. I think I've learned, I don't want to promise you, I, we want to learn how to do it. We want to produce something. You know, mm -hmm. I, and, and, but, but yeah, that's the idea. And um, I think in the end, um, we like to, you know, the, the, the city of Wilmington's putting out a lot of time and effort to make this happen. I think it'd be really nice just to hear stories about how people respond to it. So, so it'll go to, it's a it's a way of assessment, really. I mean, you know, anytime you have a grant, you go do something, to count the numbers and do all this. But it's a little hard to assess how people play. Mm -hmm. I think. How do they feel? 
Yeah. How do you quantify but how someone feels? Was that play? Yeah. So, but maybe if we hear a story about it, you know, we'll have mm -hmm. some qualitative assessment. Um, yeah. And so that's. But I, but I do think memoir is. Um, I like to chop it up smaller. Like they, they have something you want to spend a minute telling us about. Uh, three minutes, and it sometimes helps people talk too. You know, they don't think they have to fill up an hour and a half or, or whatever. Um, so speaking of play and I guess sort of discovering your story as a child, when did you know you wanted to be a writer? Uh, I... Or, or did it just happen and you were grateful and happy? You know, it's an, that's an interesting question. I mean, I, um, when I was in first grade, we'd go to the library on Friday and our library, and this is in one of the books, this is in Connect the Stars, I think. We had a library cafe gymnatorium because it was a small school mm -hmm. and everything was mm -hmm. in one place. So the library was on, actually on the stage at the end of the cafeteria, which was actually the gym. And they were probably 10 bookshelves up there. And by the time I finished, I, I know I read every book in that school, you know, by the time I was in fourth grade and I left. But in first grade, we would go in the morning, we'd get a book, and then, you know, we'd have like two hour, an hour, for, it seemed like an hour, probably 10 minutes, to read the book, I'd finish it. And then I would be causing trouble, banging around. And, and finally the teacher just gave me a pass to go to the library anytime I wanted. And I think that was kind of it, you know. It was more important to them to keep me reading, you know, than actually have me function in any other way. So I think that was when it dawned on me that, you know, maybe language or words or storytelling was in the future. But I, it, it took a long time. And, I'm a terrible storyteller. I'm not a natural. Like, if you were a swimmer, you know, like some people are just natural. Just get the water. I'm not one of them, so yes, I know. <laughs> yeah. I can recognize. And so it. some people have to get them. Manufacture a stroke. And you have to think about everyone. You have to do it. Every athletic times. endeavor of my life. Yes. Well, but storytelling is like that too, right? I mean, it some is. People, you know, you've got your aunt or your uncle, and at Thanksgiving they just can just tell. They can keep the table, you know, wrapped for an hour, and then you say two words, and you're like, oh my god, why did I even start talking here? How am I going to get out of this? So I'm like naturally not a storyteller, I just love books. Mm -hmm. Always wanted to do that, you know, and, and I think, you know, my buddies would, since I'm from Arkansas, they would want to see their name on the back of a Dallas Cowboys jersey. I just wanted to see my name on the back of a book, which, you know, would not have flown in with any of my buddies in Arkansas, I don't think. There was a certain amount I had to get away from, you know, like where I grew up and the expectations that I probably mostly put on myself. But I, yeah, I mean, I would have loved to be a writer and I would have loved to say I was a writer and I entered a poetry contest when I was a senior in high school and won third place, you know, that kind of thing. But to actually think that you could be a writer, you know, I mean, it, it took till, frankly, I saw my wife succeed at it, you know, you know, to really think it could happen and that was probably when I was 38 years old. But it's a long, it's a long journey. Mm -hmm. You know, people stay on for a long time. We're talking about books, and to talk about another thing that you're involved in um, is that you were involved in the kind of the uh, revival of Ninth Street Bookshop yeah. about a year ago. Well, we tried to revive Ninth Street Bookshop, and um, you know, my friend Roger Festa and I, the, the economics of selling books are tough. You know, and I know that there's been a whole rash of articles out there that make it sound like the small independent bookstores probably have the best chance against Amazon, you know, as opposed to Barnes & Noble, which mm -hmm. frankly, 
is hurting because they're kind of in this mid niche. Mm -hmm. But well, the one on two hundred two is downsizing, right? Not they're, surprising. They're moving locations, so they're going to be in the shopping center where the giant is. Really, where Borders used to be. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, so there's that. All that's going on. I think, but the consensus is that what small independent bookstores can do is is what you're doing is be a cultural center and it'll be a place where you know it you know if you were gonna do the podcast you know we'd invite you there and not that your house isn't awesome but you know like it oh would, no we would we would love to start doing live shows for anyone who would like to invite <laughs> okay. us no to your opening no but, but and so that's a long foreground but i think that there is a niche and there's a way to do it i will say this you know the economics of it were tough Market Street, the rents are very high, and you know I don't know how much you go down there, but the developers who are working it over are just jacking up rents to a place where a bookstore wouldn't be able to mm -hmm. rent. So you mm -hmm. need to own your own place, and we thought about that. But um, also, running a bookstore requires somebody who wants to run a bookstore, probably you know 19 hours a day, seven days a week for about 70 years, like Jack and Gemma. And yeah, I'm not that person. Roger wasn't. And so that got in the way. Having said all this, you know, I'll just say a little bird tells me that there may be a couple of people um, working on property further down Market Street, and it can still happen. And, and, I, and I think all of the cultural, um, you know, capital you guys bring that I have, all the people who collected up. Um, friends and interested people, all the people who have voices and venues, I think we're all going to have to be in one place you have to program the heck out of a bookstore. It's got to be more than just a place to buy a book because it's never going to pay. You're never going to um, make your money back. And, and frankly, while we're digging into it, I mean, if, if you can get a book, I mean, I buy books from Amazon. I buy my own books from Amazon. Then I go take them to readings and I sell them for, you know, something closer to the sticker price. Because right. why wouldn't you? You can't buy books from a wholesaler as cheap as you can buy them from Amazon. So. You know, the numbers are tough, but if there's a place where we do just right, we bring the kids, you know, because there's not a lot of, um, there's not a lot of literacy, well, there's not a lot of arts enrichment, you know, available to kids in schools around here. So could we be the place where we say, okay, you know, come here to do it, you know, learn to do a podcast, learn to write, learn to illustrate a book, let's do pottery, I don't know, whatever, in the basement. But I think it's got to be a, a cultural hub as opposed to a place to, you know, vend books. And I'm sure we all feel like that. I mean, it'd be awesome if we had, frankly, wine and beer, not when the elementary school kids are there, but, <laughs> I don't know, maybe when they're teachers. But we're, we're willing to do a lot of things if there will be wine. Yeah. No, but I hope that, but so, the Ninth Street, so, you know, I would love to be part of a bookstore, and, and I think so many people around here love Jack and Gemma and love what they were doing. And so many people would give some time and effort and maybe even some money, you know, maybe even invest. But I think it, we're still waiting for that leader. We're still waiting for that entrepreneur to come in and, um, you know, take the leap and open a really cool space with coffee and wine and, and t-shirts and literary stuff and, and stuff besides books. You know, that, that's what it would take to make that business model work. I would go. I would go too, um, although we are doing an entire month of summer reading and Delaware reading themed podcasting, so maybe we're not the average uh, 
Well, see, that's a, but, but, there's, I but I think just books. Are. I think More than books. Oh, no. I mean, I think, you know, um, the Hocassin Bookshelf is, is one of our favorite places. And yeah. they do a great job of well, bringing back, in yeah. authors to do meet and greets and different events. Um, we mentioned Andrew Schaefer earlier. And um, spoiler for everyone, he is coming on the podcast soon. It's awesome. It took us um, a year. It took happening. us a year. But we're ready. We're, I want to help him storyboard the third Obama Biden mystery. I have it all set. I know what he's looking for. I'm I'm ready to workshop this thing with him. Um, but we actually got to meet him last year when he came and did a book signing. Yeah. And um, you know, it's just so nice to get to meet authors in those more intimate spaces. And that's what needs to happen. Um, for Rebecca, you know, battling to get people to hook some bookshelf is a haul because you got to go all the way out there. But frankly, you know, is worth thinking about. It's a little hard to get people in downtown Wilmington. It is. And it's hard. Um, in the same way, like, I get very dramatic about having to leave the city of Wilmington limits. Sometimes mm -hmm. I tell people it's too far and I can't go. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not. That sounds awful of me. I really, I will leave Wilmington sometimes, guys. Um, but in the same way, I know since I moved back home after college and then moved into the city, my parents now, like, they go to concerts with the Queen without me. And they come downtown for dinner. Yeah. And that was something... When we were growing up, they really did not do. That so. has got to happen, and, and I think it's going to start happening. I think you know, the Queen yeah. and Delaware Historical Society and, um, you know, in Lafia and, and Merchant Bar, but there does need to be a bookstore. And I just think, you know, the vision of what downtown is going to be is an incredibly interesting question. I mean, it's, you know, the, the way it looked before 1968 when there were riots and it burned and the National mm -hmm. Guard were down there for nine months and everybody left. Um, you know, there's this idea that it was some kind of perfect ecosystem, cultural ecosystem down there, and it was, you know, little shops and merchants and parking and, I don't know, horse-drawn buggies. I don't know what people thought was down there, but, you know, it never was. It's always been tough, you know, racial and economic and, you know, cultural boundaries are, you know, they've always played a part in every American city, but I think in Wilmington especially so. And I think it's really, it would be awesome to make that a place, to make that a commons, you know, to make it a place where we can all be and, and all the, um, these cultural traditions. I mean, the Clifford Brown Jazz Festival just happened. And, and you know, people, you know, Ray Avery from Christina Cultural Arts is performing at it and J Street performing at it. I mean, that's got to happen all year, downtown, you mm -hmm. know. I mean, it may, I mean, everybody knows this. It's nothing new. But, um... But a bookstore is where that can happen, you know, in, in a small way. And you can have open mics, and, and we have those. I'm going to plug some at the end. But there are open mics going on downtown at the ice cream store, um, at the Rock Lot. Um, we, but people need to be in places together, different kinds of stories. You can't just go listen to your own kind of poetry. You can't just go hear your own kind of author. You know, and I mean, you know, when it comes to literary genre or, or cultural genre or, uh, you know, cultural background. I mean, it, it does need to be a... I'm preaching now. It's my TED Talk. But I think <laughs> it's a great opportunity to learn to share stories and um, even poems, right? I mean, the, the things that go on in poetry are different from the story. What are our metaphors? What are our figures of speech? You know, what, 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 what are the things that really symbolize... Because, you know, poetry talks about the stuff that you can't really put neatly into words. That's why it's metaphorical. I mean, you know, that stuff doesn't just need to happen at the Queen when there's a great concert and people go or at the Grand Opera House, you know, 
once or twice, you know, when the, when the symphony's there and people will go. It needs to be a habit that we all get into. And obviously you two are prime suspects when it comes for the kind of clientele a bookstore like that would have. But that's the big picture. I mean, we, we have to build, you can't just have a bookstore that's over reading public, public. We have to build the, it can't be a community bookstore yet because we have to build a community for the community bookstore to go into. That's what it feels like to me. Well put. Thank you. Well put. I just came up with that. I think. It's very <laughs> impressive. Um, and with, with that, we're actually just about out of time. It's, it's time to sort of wrap up and give our We're wrapping ahead. up, but I, I think we're going to have a lot to look ahead. We have a lot to look ahead to. Um, I actually added nothing to the list, um, but I do have a couple of things. Podcast Brunch Club this weekend. For anyone who hasn't heard of it yet, it's basically like a book club, but for podcasts. So every month we have a listening list that has a theme. This month is China, so we're just sort of learning all different aspects of China. Previous lists have been um, libraries. We learned about just personal stories um, mm -hmm. related to libraries. We also learned about a library that sits on the border of Canada and the U.S. Really? Um, it's part of both countries. Um, and then we learned about libraries in prisons. So sort of some different things. So the playlist, I haven't listened to the China one yet, so I can't give you any insight, but they're always interesting. So everybody listens to the list and then we get together and we eat food and we talk about it. So it's a great thing. If anybody's interested, you can reach out to us or just go to podcastbrunchclub.com slash Wilmington. All right. Oh, well, I will do that. David looks excited. Yeah. <laughs> no, we converted one person. Yeah, um, so that's what I have coming up. Dee, how about you? So I wanted to plug sort of two things, although they're a bit farther off. Um, so Dell Shakes, um, they're back for their summer festival um, in July, July 12th through 28th. It'll be the Merry Wives of Windsor. And we actually already have a guest lined up. Um, actually two, um, producing artistic director David Stradley um, and an artist from Dell Shakes from the Mary Wives of Lunar um, will be coming on our one of our July episodes. Um, so keep a listen out for that. Keep a look out for that. It should be coming to you guys actually next week, the week of July 4th. Um, and it'll give you a good little sneak peek because they will be basically one week out from the festival starting. Yeah. And then we are actually already with uh, Del Shakes artist tonight because David is going to be among the celebrity couples um, featured as part of the Delaware in Love um, Del Shakespeare cocktail party theatrical event slash fundraiser coming up um, September 20th. So you'll have to mark your, your calendars if you want to. Yes. See yes. So I have a question and you may not have an answer yet because it's not until September. Okay. But what it is, what is a cocktail party theatrical event, and what is your role? I think I'm or supposed you don't to, know yet. Well, my role is to be in love <laughs> with Marisa, ideally. Um, you know, I, I think they wanted to have people who were known to be in love. <laughs> and us come be that way in front of other people and probably talk about it. You know, and, and you know, maybe some, some of the couples okay. who do things creatively. I mean, sort of what it might have been like here at Marisa being able to make it, but that's it. But, I mean, I know that, I, I mean, I think it's a great idea. I just think it's probably going to be a little bit of a, an extemporaneous experience once we get there. Exciting. <laughs> I envis I might be, to I'm probably totally making this up, but when I heard this was happening, I imagined you both, like, taking time to read sonnets to each other in front of an audience. We Is could that do that. I mean, you know, Marisa can write sonnets. I mean, she's an amazing <laughs> poet. 
by the way. So, I, you know, that could happen, and I would love to do that because I love those Shakespeare sonnets. I mean, my God. Yeah, that's a good let's, let's just Let's just put that Maybe on we'll me. do that. Yeah. So, for those who are interested, again, it's going to be on September 20th. You can go to dellshakes.org, and obviously we always link everything, so you can go there. Um, and I don't think their tickets are on sale yet, um, but I imagine they'll be coming up soon. Yeah. I think the announcement is in, being made right now. Yeah. I've seen a couple times. Yeah, we recently have seen the save the date, so I'm yeah. thinking the sort of more mm -hmm. um, substantial invite will be out mm -hmm. soon. And then, David, another event I wanted to ask you about, if, you, if you'll be attending. So I saw that the Delaware Art Museum, they have their third annual Wilmington Writers Conference coming up, yes. July 26th and 27th. Yeah. I believe you were there last yeah, year. Yeah, I was there two years ago, and I'm not going to be part of the actual faculty, but I'm just going to go. And they have an open mic. I, I mean, I think it's still happening. That's awesome. The, the cocktail party and the fellowship. It, it is a very important piece of the puzzle. For all for you and me and and all of us writers who want there to be a community, so I'm just I'm going to go participate. We're doing. I need to do workshopping. I got to get a book written. I got to work. <laughs> you know, I got to get stuff done. So so yeah, the answer is yes. Okay, good. So that's one of the um, opportunities for writers and listeners and readers coming up. You had a couple open mics yeah, you wanted to pitch? If I may, that's awesome. Absolutely. I would like to mention the outspoken series at the Rock Lot, and um. That one, you're going to link these? Can I? We link everything. Yeah. Okay, so, so this is um, Creative District, and my a really brilliant poetry student of mine who since left me and now gone on his own named Christian Wills runs a, an open mic uh, poetry series. And, and you know where the rock light is? It's downtown. Um, the address is it off is of Shipley? 305 West 8th Street. Yes, Street. right off, off of Shipley. Shipley. And so there's, um, I guess the, the next one is not till August. But put that on your list and come out with a poem or anything, piece of a memoir, something you want to do out loud in front of people to try out. And then the other piece is the Sweet Jams Open Mic, which will be this Saturday, June 29th, 6 to 8, at the Creamery, which is the UD ice cream store on Market Street. Um, and that address is 815 North Market. That is an awesome reading. And I think I'm gonna, I'm, I, I think I might try a poem out myself because oh. I'm trying so you'll hear local renowned author sharing some of his work if you can be in attendance. I'm try. I mean, I do think all you writers who have fiction, I think it's worth trying your hand at a poem, right? You got to keep your child. You got to build yourself. You got to build those muscles, right? Mm -hmm. you the lyrical, the observational, the metaphorical, and the musical, right? So, and then I think that's why, frankly, Marisa does what she does because she had broken in as a poet. So yeah, I'm gonna go have an anxiety attack in front of 20 strangers. So come out to see that, everybody. I'm sure it will be great. And I, I think we've left you guys with a lot of sort of cultural things coming up, which is good, because a lot of times we leave you with a lot of food um, things to do. So feed your soul. Yeah, this time we're, we're going to feed our minds and our souls. Well, the ice cream's pretty stinking good, too. And that's true. And there I, will I also be ice cream, yeah, so, so that'll do it for you. win I have to say. Yes. All right. Well, David, thank you so much for chatting with us and sharing with our listeners. Um, we were so grateful you could make it. Thank you so much. Really enjoyed it. Thanks for listening to the Della Darling Podcast. If you want to follow us on social media, we are at Della Darling Pod on Instagram and Twitter and the Della Darling on Facebook. <laughs>